This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Sit by my side Come as close as the air Sharing a memory of grey Wander in my world And dream about the pictures I play Of changes For much of the 20th century, Ireland was primarily known as a country of substantial net outward migration. Ireland had the highest net emigration rate in the European Union in the 1980s. But by the year 2002, Ireland had the highest net immigration rate in the European Union. Migrants to Ireland were of every type and condition, and for the purpose of this project, we are going to focus on a very particular group. Poets. Poetic Lives is a six-part series that follows the lives of six poets that, not having been born in Ireland, now live and produce their art in this country. Each programme is a blind date for the interviewer, who will only know the poet through the selection of poems and the brief biography sent to him by the poet. Following the path laid by the poems, the interviewer and the poet will talk about the life experiences and interests of the different poets and how they are reflected in the poems. All our guests have three common denominators. Poetry, migration and Ireland. From the Far East to America... From Africa to Europe, each poet will talk about expressing their very different experiences through the medium of poetry. Now it is time to listen to today's poet. asked questions in the town and the answer was always the same I think you've had enough Carmody go on with you take it handy now feck off home enough home home is it to a flat off the Coventry road the whole stinking tribe of us out of this country and that common in not being there sometimes being here always being from somewhere else the emptiness of the landing and the single bulb home to young hares leverets born with the speed of light already in them the speed of God in a golden Galway field and the bus came thundering down the road through the lights like the whole of England is on fire. Saying prayers with my mother in the back ash wild of home of County Galway in the eternal sun and rain. A place you could not paint because look around. Someone else has already done it. Someone else has already done it. Look, top that you couldn't. Even try. Mother, I'll smoke your dandy silk cut if I have to. 
don't know why women smoke if they're only going to do it half arsed. Half cotton, your gas, mother. Dear mother. I'll get the bus one day out past Uchtarad and into Grand Galway City, where the kings of the West guide us out. Big handed men. Big mouthed. Big arsed. Big hungry fuckers sending us all to the land of schmaltz. And sure aren't we all Irish anyhow? You great big cockney fuck. I'll paint you if you hold still. If you could only cease. If they'd only let you. I'll give you your dues. You deserve to be up there with the rest. You're a prince yourself, man. A walking lord. The real deal. They say, Danny, hey, comedy, you can start Wednesday. Don't be telling everyone. Is it true you said you'd paint her portrait? Ah, come on, for flame fuck's sake. The nearest you'll get to a studio is a cell. Ah, come on, for flying fuck's sake. The nearest you'll get to a studio is a cell. Hello, I'm Joseph Hogan. I'm a poet from Birmingham in the English Midlands, where I was born and raised of, of Irish parents. I'm living back now in Cork, where my parents are from. Hi, Joseph. Thanks for coming. This series of programs is more or less a kind of a blind date where I meet a poem that I have never come across and I just know their material through the poems that they have sent to me. First of all, I'm going to ask you to talk me through the poem that we just heard that is in a CD. When I heard this poem, I heard something like the field. I write a lot about immigration and immigrants because that's my family background and I like to try and play around sometimes with some of the stereotypes of that. That poem is based on a character called Daniel Carmody who left Galway and went to work on the building sites in London, a, you know, a well-worn path. Somewhere along the line whilst he was in London, he discovered art. He started painting. He started painting on every scrap of paper he could find. He slowly gained some attention and... He was about to have his first big exhibition and he took his own life. Now, he, 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 there were other parts of Daniel's character. Like he, he at one time had thought of becoming a priest. He drank a lot. The art is the thing that distinguished him and I just wanted to play around with those stereotypes and make something of that. In that case, you more or less put yourself in the voice of another immigrant. Yeah, but in, yeah. a lot of the time, I can see from your poems, you have put voice to your own experience, to the experience of your parents. Yeah. It, for example, there is one that we will read next, when the Irish went to England to have children. Yeah, I think like one of the experiences for people of my generation would be, if you're, if you're from immigrant parents is that you can never really experience what they experienced but you also don't experience the culture in which you brought up in a direct way either so that the way I was brought up with we, you know we were, I was, it was a very big urban industrial city but we came back to Ireland every year for six weeks in the summer it was a very large Irish community you know we all went to Catholic schools which in England mainly means that most of the other children there would be Irish the historian Joseph Lee talks about that it's writers that will inform us of of the past. I thought poetry, in a way, should try and record 
the lived experience of people and in, in that in, and that's the thing that I try to explore I can't see in the dark I can't see through mum's eyes or dad's I thought my name my black hair maybe the way I walk that phrase I use I believe they would see my passport what about that song I know I thought standing at my grandmother's grave or reading all those books. I even believed I might go back to mass, to the saints of school and confirmation. I thought drinking with my father, linking arms with my mother. But I can't see in the dark. I can't see through dad's eyes or mum's. You talk there about your family, about the second generation, mm-hmm. about the the darkness that is being an immigrant. Mm. Actually, not being an immigrant, being born and bred in England, yeah. but not feeling all that integrated. Is that a fact that goes for all the Irish diaspora over in England? There are people who find no conflict, but there are also a, a very sizable amount of people who find there's a constant issue of identity. For the second generation Irish, in that a lot of people would have a very strong local identity. Like I would, I would identify very much with the city that I come from, Birmingham. But I wouldn't in any way associate that with an Englishness. I don't, I don't feel English. Or, and I was told continuously growing up by my parents that I wasn't English, that because I was told I was Irish. You know, and we would have had an awful lot of the same aspects of of Irishness in our upbringing as somebody being brought up in Ireland except we it was overseas I think in many ways as I kind of say in that poem what that ends up with though is is a kind of a sense of not belonging anywhere and it's in a way there's a time when that is a negative but I think you reach a place where you think well it's quite it's it's kind of good not to belong that's an okay place to be you know that you don't have to have a fixed identity you know that there doesn't have to be a settled place for you you know i, I mean i don't want to i don't want to overeg it and make it sound like there's some big psychological trauma but um there are certainly issues of identity for second generation irish that never that never quite go away by and large we'd have english accents as i would have but you know we have very very strong a very very strong irishness about us as well you know you were saying that it's okay not to belong but most people try to belong try to fit mm-hmm. and when you were in England, you were seen as part Irish or more Irish yeah. than English. Yeah. When you moved to Ireland, yeah, yeah. as soon as you open your mouth yeah. and you you try to express yourself, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, sure yeah. that you were seen as an English. Oh yeah, man. yeah. That, well, that's it. I think you, you you fit it on the button there. That's that's exactly the 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 experience. You know, um, but I've been living in Ireland now properly for 16 years, so maybe I've had a lot of time to come to terms with that now. So I know that when I first came back. It really did cause difficulty for me to be for people to assume that I was English all the time because of my accent, you know. Which you know, it's not a strange assumption to make, you know. But you go past the point of always wanting to explain yourself to everybody. There's a time where you just think I can't continuously just keep giving my family background as an explanation for myself. And maybe as a writer, maybe that becomes the place of belonging. That the art becomes the place of belonging, without that sounding too pretentious, but. You can find belonging in lots of things, so that a sense of not belonging around national identity becomes something that I accept, you know? 
And now can be as good time as any other to bring up another of your poems, that is Citizens. I wrote this poem, Citizens, directly about um, the vote that there was a few years ago that Michael McDool organised about, about citizenship. And I thought people always want narrow definitions and they always want absolute definitions because that makes, that makes everything a lot easier. Ambiguity makes things a bit more complicated and people don't like complications. You know, narrowness of thought in, in a way is a lot easier. It's a lot less challenging. Black know? and white. Black and white. Let's keep it that way. And, and then things are... And I thought the citizenship vote was very much along those lines, you know. So I'll just re I'll read this poem anyway, citizens. Who caught the boat at the end of the quay with pregnant women and pregnant women-to-be to red brick cities just across the sea? And who stayed home in the land of morals where the same old few shared the same old quarrels? And who decided who would be the economic refugee? And that put us into the huge emigration that Ireland had for centuries. Mm. And now you are an immigrant again into the land of your parents mm. and you see other emigration. How can you relate to the immigrants that you see in Ireland now at the moment? Well, I thought especially during the times of the Celtic Tiger when the whole asylum seeker issue was very large. And I know it's still happening now. But I thought at that time the way that it was assessed that if people were fleeing violence or fleeing abuse, if they could prove that in some way, then they could gain status in the country that could, could gain residency but if they were proven to only be economic refugees was the phrase that was used as in fleeing poverty then that was no reason for them to be allowed into the country which i thought was deeply ironic because waves and waves and waves of, of irish who'd left ireland to go to england or go to america had been essentially economic refugees and also because in what way is fleeing poverty, not fleeing political persecution? People are poor because of a political context. So the idea that, that in some way you say that it's only if there's a gun at your head that you have a right to flee. You cannot flee for your family's future. You cannot flee grinding poverty in the hope of making a better life for yourself. And I thought it deeply ironic as well during the Celtic Tiger, we had such a celebration of the entrepreneurial spirit that those people who'd shown such an entrepreneurial spirit that they managed to get out of a country come across half the planet to get to this country surely had shown fantastic entrepreneurial spirit but in some ways that wasn't good enough you know and I just thought that of all countries for Ireland to to treat immigration in such a harsh way was was just very very ironic and very very disappointing and on, on that point of irony I will love you to read your next poem that is Paddy's that I think that it to any of our listeners, the irony, it will be impossible to be lost in this one. This is Paddy's. And all around here, there were Paddy's. On this street, and that street, down there, Paddy's. And they had their social clubs here, and there, look there, they had their church, and the school where their kids went. Loads and loads of kids. Running around the place with their paddy. Names 
and their paddy faces and their English accents. Paddies all over the place around here. Though their kids were more or less invisible. Disappearing paddy kids. And you hardly saw their women except for picking up the kids. Or doing some shopping. Coming out of mass. It was the paddies, see. Paddies everywhere. Paddies everywhere around here. Putting it all together, raising it up. Paddies, who'd hardly seen a tarmac road, come out of this wet field and that to furnish a city. Paddies, paddies, paddies everywhere around here. I really thought when I saw this poem when I listened to this poem that if you change the word parties for I don't know Muslims or Indians or many other here today mm. in Dublin mm. it will fit all together the idea of plenty of kids that you yeah. don't see the women yeah. do you think that the Irish that come from three generations of families that have half, half of their family emigrated see the irony see the see the point in in this poem i hope so i wanted to take a term that was was a negative term the way it was used when i was growing up i mean there were far worse terms that, you know but i wanted to take a certain term and talk about it in the way that i would have heard i would have heard my own community being talked about in the city that i grew up in you know that there were certain areas where it was all irish it, you know there were irish pubs irish clubs irish schools I wanted to take back a certain word and say that, as you've just said, the way that, that we were spoken about is now the way people talk about other immigrants and, and attach to it the same way of not allowing them to be individuals or allowing them to be people. They just become the Paddies or the Indians or the Pakistanis or the Africans, you know, because you know, obviously as a poet, words, words attract me, so... I wanted to take that word back in a way, the word paddies. And As you mentioned paddy and paddy again, I was thinking that how many times have you heard that turned around and when you came to Ireland become a plastic paddy? Oh, well, strangely enough, I'd hear, I would hear that a, a bit more of in England. Again, that, that goes back to the constant thing about identity. You know, and plastic paddy was something that always very I found very amusing because I mean, I, it was obviously meant as a very derogatory term. But when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, into the 90s even, before being Irish became cool, the idea that anybody would aspire to be Irish rather than something else it was ludicrous, you know. There was no kind of cultural icon that you thought, oh, yeah, it would be so great if everyone thinks I'm Irish. You know, the being Irish for us was just a statement of who we were rather than an aspiration. So a plastic pad, it was such a ludicrous insult, you know, that, that somebody would aspire to be this, this group of people who were so denigrated, you know. And now that you talk about people denigrating, I'm looking at one of the, your other poems, Address. I thought that in that one, you again include the Irish, the Irish emigration and other emigration that we have been talking about. This is from a book that I did with another poet, uh, an English poet, Anthony Owen, called The Year I Loved England. And in it, we wanted to celebrate the aspects of our society that are so often under attack. 
So for me personally, because I lived in an immigrant's area, which was primarily Irish and West Indian when I was growing up, and then it changed and more Asian people came to live there. And then I think as years went on, then more African people came, came to live there. I wanted to celebrate that. I wanted to say that actually growing up in places like that was fantastic. Because then we had everything. We had all of these different influences and we had the influence of, of growing up in a big city and, and, and belonging to this big city. I, mean, I wanted to talk about it positively because it seems like multiculturalism is under such an attack as being in some way a failure, in some ways a, a negative and, and, and again, seeking to put people back into very narrow uh, modes of existence. And So I, 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 in address, I wanted to, I wanted to celebrate... Um, those areas where I came from. All the houses on our street are upside down and people fly above the chimneys. They are falling into the sky. They are not from here anyway. Not one of them is from here anyway. Who? is from here anyway. The people in the sky are falling up into India, Pakistan, Ghana, Nigeria, St. Kitts and Ireland. They are landing on their heads. They are from here every way. Every one of them is from here some way. Where is from here anyway. All the streets near our house are downside up and chimneys fly above the people. They are sky and they are flying. Again, we come back to the idea of identity. Mm of where the people comes from. The fact that you were brought up in a multicultural area. When you were coming to Ireland, you were mentioning that you were visiting holidays. And how did you find monocultural Ireland at the time? Because when you were growing, will be like 70s, 80s. Mm. That will be, coming to Ireland, will be moving to another planet. Oh, yeah, very much so. But, in, but I mean, one of the things, again, talking about words was we were we were always told when we were coming back to Ireland that we were coming home uh, not that our parents were coming home but that we were coming home we were all coming home we were going home for the summer I mean I I, I loved it I loved coming back because it was such a fantastic contrast to when I grew up in I grew up in an urban area very inner city surrounded by brick and concrete and we came to Ireland in this in the 70s and 80s and it was fields and freedom and just going out roaming all day you know so I mean it's easy to see why a lot of second generation Irish kids could get a very idealized picture of Ireland, you know, and it wasn't, it was a huge contrast to, to where I'd come from, to where I was growing up. I think, I think that became more notable in my later years, you know, as a, as a late, as a, as a, as a late teenager and into my twenties, I very much felt the difference then of, of Ireland being, being this monocultural society, which obviously it's changed since then, since I've come back and, you know, Certainly, I'm thankful for that anyway. But And how did your parents take to it? They have made their lives over in, mm. in England. Mm. My parents have moved back to Ireland as well. But I think for a lot of the immigrants who leave, it's never admitted that they might stay and it's never admitted that they might stay for as long as they do stay. 
again, in their heads, they're always going back. But also, I think we were brought up with an idea of an island that ceased to be in the 1950s because that's when our parents left. So even though we came back and we visited a lot of the time when we were in the UK, when we socialised in Irish clubs, it was a celebration of an island that was slowly ceasing to exist. So again, that added to a sense of dislocation because you very much came to realise that the community that you were growing up in, my parents' generation, were part of an island that no longer was, that with every year became more and more part of just part of the past. But I think for the thousands and thousands who left in the 1950s, I think most of them always, always planned in their heads and their hearts to come back, even if they knew realistically that most of them probably wouldn't. Now, it's a good time to, to read the Laika skin. My father is 88 years old. An often silent man from a generation of silent men that emigrated with suitcases wrapped in string to lie awake in another country staring at their lives through the ceiling remembering cold water and a Christmas cupboard that held exotic fruit oranges and bananas Fruit corrupts, grows parched like paper, like skin. Placing bets, buying drinks, staring at the ceiling. In the lee of his silent life, I am walking. <laughs> It's a very interesting view of the movie on the 50s. Mm. And now, but this is a quite recent point, I take Uh, yeah, four or five years ago, yeah. And how have they taken your parents? Do you reflect in this poem what your parents now going back to mm. what they left in the 50s? Mm. Mm. Um, well, I mean, obviously, Ireland has changed enormously since since then. Um, but I think for them, being able to come back, which which didn't happen for for everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but being able to come back has been, you know, something of a victory for people who left completely out of economic circumstances who were, in essence, economic refugees. And at that time, the only country that could offer a life for people was England or Britain, rather, or the US. And my parents chose to go just across the water. To finish with that point, talking about your father and his Spain, I think that is a good way of finishing the program. I would have loved you to read some others, like, for example, Asbestos Dreams, that mm -hmm. reflects in the in the poor jobs that they did yeah, and yeah, the consequences yeah. that it yeah. has taken. Yeah. But we will have to leave that. We no have problem. no time for it. No Thanks problem. a lot. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks. Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from this concrete sprawl That keeps crawling its way About a thousand miles a day Take one last look behind Commit this to memory and mind 
Don't miss this wasteland, this terrible place when you leave. Thanks to Joe Horgan for sharing his poetry with us. In today's programme, the interview was carried out by Iñaki Iriroyen, and he will be back next week with another poet in the next programme of Poetic Lives. But to find out who will be next week's poet, our listeners will have to tune in to Near FM 90.3. Thanks for listening. We hope you like this week's programme of Poetic Lives and that you will tune in again next week. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority.